I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. I'm reading verses 1 through 5 of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. And early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him up to Pilate. And Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And answering, he said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priest began to accuse him harshly. And Pilate was questioning him again, saying, Do you make no answer? I believe the NIV has it. Aren't you going to answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Somebody has bound to have written a book. You know, there's a book about everything. So there's got to be a book written somewhere under the title of The Questions That Jesus Refused to Answer. And I think probably in that book is this episode. is one of the most significant and most baffling things that Jesus ever did. And if you think that's an exaggeration, consider that Jesus is on trial for His life. And He's standing before the head of state And all of these trumped-up charges are brought against him, all these accusations, and the priests are accusing him. And Jesus makes no, utters no statement in his defense. It's no wonder that in the bewilderment of that, that confusion, Pilate would ask the question that concerns us today. You can almost feel the baffled emotion of this man. Some of us have felt that. Aren't you ever going to answer my questions? That's something that we have asked, or at least we have wanted to ask. Are there no answers to the questions I have? For this silence that often comes back from heaven is a confusing thing. And the fact that that oftentimes there are no answers to our questions and there is no response to our request is one of the most difficult things that a Christian has to face. Now there were people who were amazed at what Jesus said and they came back to tell the council, this man speaks as one who has authority. He talks like nobody we've ever heard talk. Some were amazed at what Jesus said. Pilate was amazed at what he didn't say. And as much a part of the divine sovereignty of God is what he does not reveal about himself. There hardly a week passes of what somebody says to me. You know, it just doesn't seem like I get any answers to my questions And it seems like that I pray and I pray and I pray and nothing happens and nothing changes. 
And they re-echo Sonnet 29, Shakespeare's Sonnet 29, when he said, When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state, I suffer death heaven with my bootless cries and look upon myself and curse my state. What happens when a man takes off his shoes in respect of the holiness of God and he storms heaven with his questions and there are no answers and he's confused? What do you do when God doesn't answer? That's what this is about. I think, first of all, we need to discover or remember right up front that there are really no complete answers to some questions. There are some things in this life that have question marks indelibly stamped upon them. And there are some mysteries for which there will never be in this life a solution. Now, we don't like that. Have you ever gone to a movie and you're just caught up in the high drama of that thing? And you're sitting on the edge of your seat, you know, and the plot thickens, and then all of a sudden it's over. And they start running the credits up, you know. And you just kind of look at one another and you say, is this, you know, is this all there is? Is this the end? And you kind of feel cheated. I mean, I paid five bucks and I don't even know how it turns out. And you kind of walk away from the theater, shaking your head, feeling cheated and thoroughly confused. There are some things in life just like that. I used to think, that every question in life had a pat, easy answer to it. And those answers are found in the Bible, and I knew every one of them. As a 19-year-old preacher, you just ask me any question, and I'll find you an answer. And then I got to be an old man, about 30. And I discovered that one of the most dangerous things in life are these cut-and-dried theologies that reduce the ways of God to some workable formula. Why did Jesus have to suffer? And how can the blood of a just man forgive our sins? And why would God choose this time as the fullness of time? And why would He favor a nation like Israel over other nations? And why did God choose this way? And after Good Friday is over, Pilate must have shaken his head and said, I don't understand what happened today. And that's something you and I have often done because there are no easy, glib, pat answers when you deal with the mind of God. And that's the difference. We don't understand what goes through the mind of a human being many times. I don't even understand myself why I choose to do the, some of the things that I do. Who can under, that I do? Who could understand the mind of God? And Isaiah said his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, like the heaven is higher than the earth. And Jesus once said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if you don't understand why the wind blows and how it happens, how can you understand heavenly things? And Paul said it like this, Oh, the depths, both of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Who can understand Him? His 
judgments are unsearchable, and His ways are unfathomable. And so Pilate shook his head, and so do we, and had to say, I just don't know. Now that's a hard thing for some of us to say. When somebody asks me, you know, about some of these mysterious things, one of the hardest things in the world is just to say, I don't know the answer to that. A.W. Tozer put it this way, There are those people who belong to a class mentioned by Cicero who fear nothing so much as to appear to be in doubt about anything. They proceed from the false assumption that everything in heaven and earth can be explained and nothing can be more glaringly false. Far better than the attempt to understand is the humility that admits its ignorance and waits quietly on God for His will, for His light to appear in His own time. We will be better able to understand when we accept the humbling truth that there are many things in heaven and earth that we shall never be able to understand. Never forget that it is a privilege to wander to stand in delighted silence before the supreme, supreme mystery and whisper, O Lord, only Thou knowest. No one should be ashamed to admit that he does not know, and no Christian should fear the effect of such a confession in the realm of spiritual things. Indeed, the very power of the cross lies in the fact that it is the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man. The day we manage to explain everything is the day we've reduced God to the human level. There are some things that have no answers. Second, we do have some answers to some things. Now we have an answer here to some degree as to why um, Jesus didn't respond to Pilate. In the, in the 22nd chapter of Luke's Gospel, they are bombarding him with questions, and Jesus makes this statement. He said, if I tell you, you wouldn't believe me anyway. The problem is not in the receptor. The problem is not in the transmitter. The problem is in the receptor. He wouldn't believe me anyway. There's this marvelous story in the book of Acts. And Peter's in prison. He's in the innermost part of the prison. And this little group of people have joined together to pray for his release. And they're asking God for a miracle. And so the Holy Spirit moves into the innermost part of that jail and breaks the bonds of, that, that hold Simon Peter and the doors open up and Simon Peter leaves and goes straight to the house where the people are gathered to pray for him. And he knocks on the door. A little woman comes to the door to answer it. The, re, the people remain in prayer and she sees Simon Peter there. Not asking him in, she runs back to tell the prayers. Simon's outside your prayers have been answered. And they said, we don't believe it. Now Ernest Campbell, who used to be pastor of Riverside Church in, in New York City, has a marvelous sermon on 
entitled On Taking Yes for an Answer. And the thesis of this sermon is that most of us wouldn't believe yes if it knocked at the front door. I wonder how many times you've asked questions that have already been answered. And I wonder how many times you've required of God something He's already done. And you might say, well, if God has already answered the question, why don't I know it? Why haven't I heard it? Well, it may be because for many of us there's a dullness in the ear of the hearer. And so Jesus told the parable, He said, a man went forth to sow some seed, and this seed is the Word of God. Some of that seed fell on stony ground, hard ground, and refused to receive it. And sometimes... What, when, the, when the answer comes, when the message is declared, there's a dullness in the ear of the hearer. And sometimes we don't believe it because it's not what we want to hear. I know you've heard that old story about the atheist who fell off the edge of the cliff and he was tumbling down to his death hundreds of feet below and he happened to reach up and grab a hold of a limb sticking out the side of the, of the mountain and was hanging on for dear life. He realized he couldn't hang on forever and he knew that he had to get some help somewhere. And then he thought, God, you know, <laughs> God will help me. And so he lifted up his prayer and he said, Oh God, would you save me? Silence. And so he entreated again, oh dear God, would you please save me? I, if you'll save me, I'll, I'll tell everybody about it. I'll, I'll believe in you for the rest of my life and I'll declare your name to everyone. Silence. And then, there, then he almost turned loose from the shock, heard this loud voice reverberating through the canyon. That's what they all say when they're in trouble. Oh no, God, he said. He said, in fact, I'm starting to believe you now, just hearing your voice. If you'll just save me, I'll always believe you. And God said, okay, I'll save you. Turn loose of the branch. And the atheist said, well, you think I'm crazy? <laughs> well, turn loose of this branch. Do you think I'm crazy? And so we ask of God those questions that haunt us. But we believe, we hear with our feelings, and when the answer comes that we don't want to hear, we don't believe. I love the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk had this problem. Why doesn't God do something to save His people? And so he went and inquired of God again and again, why aren't you going to do something? Why don't you reveal yourself to us? And God spoke through the prophet Habakkuk and said, Okay, Habakkuk, I'm going to answer your question, but you're going to, you're going to wish that I never had. You're going to... You'd be better off if you didn't know what I'm going to do because I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans this pagan nation, to destroy you. There's sometimes when knowing something does not bring peace. I've shared with you that my wife is the best financial manager in our family. She pays all the bills, 
I honestly do not know how well she does, and I, I honestly do not know how much money I have in the bank. Sometimes Margaret will say to me, Gerald, do you know how many bills we've got to pay this week, this month? I'll say, no, and don't tell me. <laughs> and, and she'll say, Gerald, do you realize how much money we have in our account? And I'll say, no, and don't dare tell me. She'll tell me anyway. I wish I'd have never heard. You know, just be careful when you ask of God questions in life. You may get an answer you don't want to hear. We have some answers. There are no easy, pat answers. Point number three, we don't need answers. Now why Jesus spoke not a word? Why are God's ways God's ways? Pilate went home and said, I don't understand that. But I ask you this morning, is the Christian religion a religion that answers all of the demands of the intellect? It is not. The Christian religion is based upon faith in the person of Jesus Christ. It is based upon one's commitment of faith to And they said, how can we know these teachings, whether they be of God? And Jesus said, anyone who wills to do the will of my Father will know the teaching, whether it be of God. What he was saying is this, you don't need to rationalize or theologize or explain me. You just need to trust me and follow me. I mean, you may not be able to find all the answers to life's mysteries, but you know Jesus Christ who died and rose again, and that's the main thing. We don't need all answers. You don't have to have them. And I heard a silly story about a young suitor who was kind of ashamedly explaining to his girlfriend he didn't understand how electricity worked. And she said, well, I understand how electricity works. You just flip a switch and it comes on. Now, she didn't know much about electricity either, but she, needed to, she, she, she knew all she needed to know. Now, that's not a defense of ignorance. I don't believe a person ought to ever remain a babe in the Word of God. But let me tell you something. All you need to know this morning is that God demonstrated His love in Christ Jesus. He lived a sinless life. In obedience to the Father, He took a cross on His back, crawled on it and died, and on the third day was raised from the dead, ascended back to the Father after having disclosed and revealed Himself to others, and is there at His right hand today. That's enough to know. We do have some answers, that's for sure. And so John the Baptist got tired of dying in jail. And so he said to his friends, I need you to go and talk to Jesus and tell him we need some answers. We're tired of these mysteries. We don't understand this. I want you to go to Jesus and ask him, are you really the one? Let us know. Speak up. 
But you know, Jesus wasn't obligated to explain anything to John the Baptist. And so Jesus told John's friends, you go back and tell John that I healed the sick, I raised the dead, I gave sight to the blind. That's all he needs to know. What do we know? We know that there is a man who split history into towers above all other men. And his disciples were with him in the nitty-gritty of life. They saw him in times of triumph and they saw him in times of despair. They were with him when the crowds swarmed on him and they were with him when they drifted away. And they were with him when he experienced victory and they were with him when he was crucified. They shared every moment with him and this is their testimony. Peter said he's a lamb without blemish. John said he came to take away sin and in him is no sin. And Judas wept in remorse. Behold, I've sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. For here's a man who could face temptation without sinning. Who could be hated without hating in return. Who could be punished without striking back. Towering above all men was this Christ. And he had a special perception that enabled him to see what was really in man. He had a special power that gave force to his words. He had a special persistency in everything he did. He had a special peace that could confront death and victory. And Jesus said, all you need to know is me. For we don't live by explanations. We live by faith. And our faith is only as strong as the object on which it's placed. Now those are the three points. There's a little postscript. Hear this. And the little postscript is this. That the silence of Jesus is the silence of love. Watch this. For Jesus knew that man would not likely believe in the love of God if all he did was talk about it. Can I say that again? He knew that man would not likely believe in the love of God if all he did was talk about it. And I challenge you to find any place in Scripture where Jesus ever walked up to anybody and said, Friend, I want you to know I love you. He never did. But what he did was, he took a leper, put his arms around him, and embraced this untouchable. And what he did was, he took his robe off, and he put a towel around him, and he washed his disciples' dirty feet. And what he did was, He put a cross on his back and he walked up a hill and he died on it. And what he did spoke more eloquently than his words. And you can't, you can't just disregard a man who would die in your place. And you can't just lay aside a man who would, if he spoke up, would have saved his own skin. But he remained silent in order to save yours. So that the silence of Jesus is the greatest testimony of His love. 
a lady got in her husband's MG sport car. He'd always wanted an MG, little English sport car. And so he found one and he rebuilt it. He, he, he refurbished it and it was like a toy. It was just perfect. He didn't want her driving it, but it was kind of an emergency. So she got in his little sport car one day and started to the store and had a wreck. You, you guessed it. Had a, and somebody came through a stoplight and just plowed into that MG sport car and just totaled it. She wasn't hurt, I mean physically, but she's saying, oh no, what will my husband say? I'm, I'm, I'm dreading, I'm dreading, she's saying, I'm dreading telling him. She, she knew that he wouldn't be angry. She'd be, he'd be worried about her, but I mean, that was the worst part. If he'd have a fit and scream and, and throw things, that'd be easier to take than have him say, that's all right, honey, that's okay. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. So when the policeman came, the patrolman, he said, could I see your license and your insurance verification? And so she handed him her license and she reached into the car pocket, the glove compartment of that little MG and got the insurance verification and handed it to him and then noticed there was a little note in that little packet, that little deal where you put your insurance. And it said, honey, if you're having to read, get these insurance papers, it's probably because you had a wreck. I pray to God that you're okay. And I'm not really concerned about this car. I know not how the wondrous cross a world from sin could free. I only know its matchless love has brought God's love to me. And so standing in the midst of the mysteries of life is the demonstration of the love of God. And as Henry Blackaby once said, I've decided that I will look at every experience that happens in life through the demonstration of God's love at Calvary. And if I can believe by faith that God loves me, then I can believe that anything that happens to me is okay. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray for your will to be accomplished and done in this invitation for a faith that trusts in Christ and in the love He demonstrated to us. May your will be done perfectly through Jesus Christ our Lord, I pray. Now there are three invitations. Would you look? There's an invitation for you this morning to give your life to Christ. Maybe at Bible school you expressed a desire to trust Jesus and you prayed the prayer to receive Christ. You need to come this morning publicly. Let these people know of your decision. Present yourself 
to be baptized. Maybe you need to come this morning to say, I need to place my membership, my life in this church to serve God here. Jesus says, come and follow me. Trust me. Commit your life to me. Surrender your heart to me, your life, your will. Would you do it while we stand to sing? I invite you to come.